good to see the rest of you as well. Well, let's uh, take your Bibles once again, <clears throat> and I know you don't think we're ever going to get through Acts, but uh, we'll surprise you someday. <laughs> we'll uh, go to chapter 24 today. We continue on with uh, Paul's imprisonment, which began several lessons ago as he came to Jerusalem to deliver those offerings. Uh, literally within a very short time, he was nearly killed. And now he finds himself in uh, 65 miles away, 60 to 65 miles away in Caesarea in uh, the headquarters, if you will, of the Roman government within Israel. And we'll pick that reading up now, chapter 24 of Acts. <clears throat> We're going to read the entire chapter because it fits together. I have no idea how far we'll get, but it, it kind of holds the context. After, in verse 1, it says, And after five days, Ananias the high priest <clears throat> descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. When he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who hath also gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the captain, I'm sorry, but the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands." commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. And then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself." Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto you, that after the way, which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had sought against me. Or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried, standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. When Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. 
he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. As he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause in prayer on our study today. Father God, we come into your presence, and we're thankful for the opportunity we have to circle the word. We would ask that these moments would be used by you for us, using the Holy Spirit, teaching by him exclusively. Father, we're here because we want to worship you. We want to lift up your name, glorify you. And Father, we know when we do that, that our lives are blessed. As we learn more about you, we become to, we become to know you more. And Father, even then we become to look more like Jesus Christ. Your purpose in saving us to be conformed to the image of your son. Now, Father, zero in on the target for us today. Take us right where we need to be. Well, thank you for the word. We thank you for the book of Acts and how meaningful it has become to us as we see you working in miracle and providence in lives of those who have begun the church of which we're here today because of these special times and how the Holy Spirit began a new ministry. As Jesus left the earth, the Holy Spirit came. As each one that has trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within them, dwelling. Father, thank you for the gift. Father, we look forward. We know that the time is coming where those that have been justified will be glorified to be with you forever. We look forward to that day. In the meantime, Father, you have worked for us. We're on a journey. We are to minister and to preach the gospel. Thank you for Paul's ex exercise and example. We pause now, letting you do the work through the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, chapter 24, uh, again, is Paul's defense before Felix. Uh, Felix would have been the governor, if you will, of Israel. He actually had come to be for four years under his previous governor of that area, a guy by the name of Cuminus, and he would have been with him for four years, kind of learning the ropes, if you will. He'd been the governor of this region for about five years. He's going to be about two more years, and then he is literally removed from office. Uh, he's a jerk. I, that's the best word I can come up for Felix. He's he laid with cruelty. Um, in fact, one of the historians, Tacitus, said that he had king's authority with the mind of a slave. He did everything wrong, if you will. The Jews hated him. Now you saw the smooth, I tried to, I tried to sound like a, a pretty silver-tongued, buttery kind of a lawyer. I don't think I did very well. But Tertullus was that guy that was hired by the Jews to literally bring a case against Paul. 
Uh, Paul was hated uh, beyond belief. Uh, Let me we'll maybe throw that map back. Uh, we'll see what happened. Uh, Lysias, last week, uh, he was the uh, Chiliarch. He was the, the leader of a thousand Roman soldiers. That would have been riot police, if you will. And you know from our picture of the temple before, it would be sitting in the corner that Antonius... Uh, the fortress, and, and literally that's where his headquarters were. He was looking over the temple because if you're going to have trouble, you're going to have trouble in church. Did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> well, they knew if they are going to have trouble in Jerusalem, it wasn't going to be in downtown Jerusalem amongst the, the businesses. The problem's going to be in the temple. That's why you put your fortress right on the edge, right in the corner, literally, of the temple to look what's going on in there. And that was really where it happened. Uh, from the map, you can see Jerusalem is where all of this event started. And if you even back up further, we'll just review very, very quickly. But Paul had been on the third missionary journey. He'd been gathering offerings. Uh, you'll find the word he uses here is alms. Alms would actually be the gift. Offerings is what you, if you would have given it, you were offering these alms. And this, the, the summation of those would have been coming to Jerusalem. Paul was giving those from all of the, the region, the, the, what we would call the Gentile churches that surrounded that, the uttermost, if you will, and it was to sense to bring unison to the church. And literally, uh, if you do the math, it, it's about a week he's in Jerusalem, he's down, he's in Jerusalem, and the place blows up. All of the unity that he was hoping for, literally Satan was behind. But from Jerusalem, Antipatris was the in-between spot. Paul was drugged, <laughs> but he had a horse, he got to ride, but uh, an overnight trip, 35 miles, we saw this all last week, from Jerusalem to Antipatris, uh, that was a, a midpoint, if you will, 400, uh, well, we're, all my notes from last are gone, but that's okay. It took 470 people to take Paul, a single man, to go to Caesarea. Uh, he was there because there was a riot. There was 40 plus men that had given, they, were, they said, we will die, we'll not eat or drink until we kill Paul. Alysius found that out through the providence of God, which is really cool. What was the key, key component in uncovering this conspiracy? Was a little boy that was led by the hand, uh, a nephew of Paul's. I mean, amazing how God uses even the simplest situations. But we find our, our journey coming now to Caesarea, a Roman um, that's really what we would call the Roman capital city of Israel. That's where all of the things happened. Uh, Herod the king actually built uh, a seaport there. It was a magnificent city. It was begun in 22 BC uh, by Herod the Great. That was his place. He was, and he did it really to make it a splash to get more comfort, more power, more authority from the Roman government. And that was interesting. All of those kings, uh, and we'll find more about Felix as well, those guys were all about keeping power. They said they hated the Romans, but under the cover, they did whatever they needed to make sure they stayed in power. That's really why the Sadducees, which is the, priest, the high priestly family, hated Paul so badly. Because they didn't need any Jesus that was crucified. They wanted to hold everything they had, power, prestige, and position. And Jesus would not have allowed that to happen if they would have followed him. Um, we need to talk about Felix for a little bit. He's a, he's a key component. He's the one that's ruling over this trial. And it does say that for five days it took the, uh, the Jews that hated Paul to go from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Paul made it in basically a 24-hour period. At night, 9 o'clock, Lysias with 470 people took Paul to Antipatris. 
they went back home because he's understaffed back at Jerusalem. Because knowing that they probably figured out Paul's gone, you talk about an uproar or another riot, they would be going crazy. So those guys go back, the horsemen go on, and they go to Caesarea. He waits five days, that is Paul and our dear friend Felix, for the accusers to come. They bring this silver-tongued lawyer by the name of Tertullus. But let's talk about Felix. We need to figure out who is this guy. He actually act, acted as a governor for uh, approximately, and I couldn't, it's, it's hard to find exactly, but the most that I could find was 52 to 60, 59 to 60 AD. That was the period of time he acted as governor. Last week, I think Paul had asked a question, and I was saying that this probably took place in 61 AD. Upon further investigation, I would say it's probably closer to 57 AD. Um, no way to zero on it exactly, but that's approximately where we're at. But we know it's two years prior to his being removed, this is Felix, as being the procurator or the governor of Israel. Because he held Paul in his house, quote, house, for two full years, Felix. Now, this, uh, there's lots of ways to look at this today. And again, I don't know how far we're going to get, but we want to certainly capture the context of what we have here. Um, this would be a lesson about lost opportunity, or the P word, procrastination. That's a word that unfortunately all of us somewhere have found. In fact, even last night, I was on the phone with uh, one of my family members. Uh, we've got a bull sale coming up, and there's stuff I need. Did I say that? I need now, right? And it's not there yet. And I'm saying, where did the ball get dropped? I really didn't ever get there, but somebody dropped the ball somewhere, right? And it's amazing how procrastination just doesn't deal with us. It deals with everyone. Our man of the hour, or lack of the hour, is our dear friend Felix. He will drop the ball. He literally is playing with his life's eternity. I want to put you in a space of how important that is, foolishness. Um, there was a, a classical book. I don't know. I read it. Uh, someone else mentioned the part of the story. I don't even know the name of the book, but it, it registers well with what we're up to today. There was a man that was going to move from Europe to America, and he was a, he was a man of means. He had a lot of stuff. There's, everybody's got a lot of stuff, don't they? How would you like to take all your stuff and put it on a boat and go to America? Oh, I got a headache, right? So this guy's really sharp. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get rid of all my stuff and make it in something that's easy to carry. Still got all of the, you know, whatever it's worth in a small package. That makes sense, right? You get on the ship, you go to America, and you just reverse it. It doesn't take as long to get stuff. You know that. Doesn't take long to get stuff. There's storage units all over this nation. Everywhere I drive or go and get on a plane, there is storage units across the nation. Everybody's got stuff. Okay, let's stay with the story. Now I'm off, there I am, off wandering off way out there. So the guy, he actually converts it all to a single diamond. Now that wouldn't be me. <laughs> I'd do something, but, whatever, but again, how would you, you know, that's pretty good, because you can take, put it in your pocket, and you go back, and you, and it's worth, now, again, diamonds have a, 
they have a value, right? You can, maybe you're not gonna get what you paid for it, but it's, it's still a lot. And, and women are more on diamonds than I am, but that's okay. The story went like this. We're gonna get to the level of foolishness. So far, the guy's okay, right? But on the ship, as they're going across the ocean, he takes the diamond out to a, someone he'd befriended, and he's just showing them the diamond. And they hit a wave. <laughs> and the ship lurches, and the diamond goes, plop, into the ocean. Women, your heart just sank. <laughs> and there was a pun intended as well. It sank. And you'd have to come to the thing, that was foolishness. But you know what's more foolish? Is to mess around with your eternal destiny. Felix is no less foolish here. We'll find it in several cases where he kicks the can down the road. When someone is, is given the opportunity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to say, not now, that is just as foolish as a diamond of all of your wealth dropping into the bottom of the ocean. That's what this story is about. It's about a man that had a lot of power. He had a lot of prestige. He was married into the right family, but he literally just threw it away. We have no incidents of where we can find that he actually received Christ. Now, I'm not, here, I'm, not, I'm not his judge, but you can tell what happens in procrastination, which is very similar to all of the other procrastinations we find in Scripture. When you say no long enough, you're not even convicted anymore. That is super, super dangerous. Let's talk a little bit more about Felix. Uh, we know, I've, I've actually already went to the end, if you will, but Felix was an interesting individual. Um, how did he get in power? And I've described for you, even the historians, those of his peers, the Jews hated him. I mean, you heard Tertullus, that's called flattery. Have you ever been flattered by someone? You know it's not true. They know it's not true. And it's like, ugh. Why did he do it? The reason that anyone does flattery. You never flatter somebody below you. You flatter someone positionally above you. Because what you want to say is something that's really buttery and syrupy so that you can get something from that person for yourself. That's why you said the things you said. That's flattery. I don't know if that definition would be in the dictionary, but that's really what it is. So our friend Tertullus is all about telling the attributes of our dear friend Felix. You know what? No one believed that. He was hated by the Jews, really hated. And literally in the, in the course of the next two years after this trial, there was a new high priest. Now, we're, we're introduced to Ananias, which, again, was a completely phony. Remember what Paul said in the trial at the Sanhedrin? It was an informal gathering, and Ananias was the chief priest, but he wouldn't have been in, shall we say, the proper place. He's just there. And when Paul said something, he said, give him a full fist to the mouth. And Paul responded by saying, you whitewashed phony to the high priest. That's not necessarily the right way to do that. And then someone, would you speak to the high priest? Didn't know he was a high priest with that kind of conduct. That's, he did not apologize. Keep that in mind. Didn't know it. That's the same Ananias. He's come with his group, the elders from the Sanhedrin, from literally the Sadducee family. They have found it necessary to go from Jerusalem to go to Caesarea to get rid of this Paul guy. And we're going to take our silver-tongued lawyer with us. 
and we've got to meet with Felix. They've got, they did, it was basically five days from the point when they, when Paul got there, Felix says, I'll take the case because he's in my district. Five days later, here comes Paul. Keep that in mind. This is really important because Paul's going to have this part of his defense. Now, that's pretty quick to put a case together, honestly. And you can tell our orator, our lawyer, is really good, though. Is he not? He's good. So Felix is hearing things about him that he knows are not true because he's not. He's not a friend of the Jews. In fact, the very next year, there's a man that's going to take the, spa the spot of Ananias as the high priest, technically. His name was Jonathan. Just to show you how nice Felix is. Now, Jonathan, you don't know this, but prior to another high priest taking place, Jonathan, I'm, so, I'm sorry, before our Felix got into the governorship, it was the Jonathan guy that said to all of the powers of be, I tell you what, Felix would make a great governor. He was really instrumental in getting Felix in that position. Do you know how Felix responded to Jonathan becoming the high priest? One of Jonathan's dear friends, he got behind and he said, we need to get rid of this guy, and bought him. They actually hired assassins in the temple to kill Jonathan the high priest. Now that'll make the Jews happy, because they knew where it came from. That's why he was actually taken to the Roman emperor back in Rome. This is what we're talking about, Felix, uh, uh, but for charges. He was removed from the office, literally, in that two-year period. He was, never, he was never convicted, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you'd have to say, how did this guy get to be the governor? You know, I asked that about some of our politicians. How did they get there? People in high places. You see, Felix was the younger brother of a man called Paulus, P-A-L-L-U-S. And this guy, Paulus, he happened to be the secretary of treasury for the emperor Claudius. Whoa. <laughs> you can get some things done, can't you? Can you imagine? This guy runs the money for the entire Roman Empire, and he says to Claudius, I got a brother. I tell you what, he would make a great governor somewhere. Somewhere. Now enter the other part of Mr. Mr. Felix. If you're thinking about where can I plant this guy? You know, sometimes there's people that really aren't, really shouldn't serve anywhere. Correct? You can say that. You can nod. I'm, I didn't say anybody. Uh, he would have, not Paulus, but Felix would have been one of those guys. Where am I going to put him? Well, you notice later in the passage that there was a woman by the name of Drusilla. And it says Drusilla, through your text, was a Jewess. She was more than a Jewess. If you go back to chapter 12 of Acts, you'll find that there was a dissertation that Mr. King Agrippa I gave, an oration between, there was some from Tyre and Sidon, and they came and they were really ticked off at him. He gets up in his royal robes and he says his story, and I think they were trying to flatter him as well to get what they wanted. And they called him a god. And he took all the credit. And you know what happened? Five days later, he's dead. Drusilla is that man's daughter, part of the Herod family. Now, what you don't know is that Drusilla was actually married off to another king at age 15. Felix, our friend, went to that king, seduced Drusilla, and brought her home as his wife. But it comes into play because now Drusilla would be very Jewish-oriented. Now tell me about King Agrippa for a moment, Tw in chapter 12. 
King Agrippa I. He killed James. He beheaded him. He was literally the first, the first really execution was done by her father. And then he imprisoned Peter. Remember that, pray, that prayer meeting? Peter's inside, and they're going to kill you. Well, if you, if you kill James, Peter, he thought it was pretty cool. Agrippa, he said, I'll kill him too. He's, he's ready to do it. But guess what? God intervened. The people are praying. Remember, remember our dear friend Rhoda? Peter's on the outside. God gets him out of the jail, comes to the prayer meeting, and knocks on the door. Rhoda goes to the door. It can't be. That's Peter. Yeah, prayer doesn't work. <laughs> and slams the door, tells everybody else, and they say, can't be. And I'm thinking, is that how we approach prayer? Sometimes we do, don't we? We don't believe what we're praying for. Literally, but the bottom line was, is Agrippa then on just shortly thereafter, God took his life. Now, I'm convinced that he would have an opportunity again to have trusted Christ along this road as well. It's amazing. When you say no to the gospel, you are in dangerous territory. It's like throwing a diamond over the, over the, over the, the side of the ship. But not only was Drusilla the the daughter of Agrippa. There was also another Agrippa, his son, Agrippa II. We're going to find him not too far off in Acts that Paul is going to defend himself before King Agrippa II, the first Agrippa's son, which would be a, a brother to Drusilla. And then there's another Bernice. Bernice and Agrippa II were together witnessing this next trial, if you will, of Paul. You see how it's all in the family? Oh, my goodness. Corruption at a depth that you can't, I can't even comprehend for you. But Drusilla, being that Jewess, I'm sure that Paulus said, I'll tell you a good spot for Mr. Felix, my brother, would be in Israel. Because then he could see this, this Jew stuff coming on early, and he could ward off, quote, unquote, sedition, rebellion, insurrection, because his wife knows. That's probably how he, got, how he got there. We know Paulus is how he got the job, but that's probably how he got there. What do, you, what do you think of our Felix guy? No comment? He's a jerk. That's why I said that. Yeah, exactly. That's who the trial is before. How will it go? Well, let's go back to our text. We'll find that the Jews have come from Jerusalem. They've traveled to Caesarea. Let's pick up our reading now in chapter 24. After five days, we've said that numerous times, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders with a certain orator named Tertullus who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him. Now, again, we see flattery at its finest. He's wanting to lift up Felix to let him feel really good about himself so they get what they want. But he has three basic requests, or three basic charges, if you will, that he's bringing before Felix about Paul. And it starts in verse 5. I'm gonna, it was enough uh, butteriness, shall we say, from verses 3 through 5 for, for one time around. I'm three, 3 and 4, rather. And he says, you know what, guy, I, I, could, I could go on. I could go on for a long time talking about how special you are. You are the most special guy we could actually even have the opportunity to be in, in having this trial before. But we're going to, we just, we don't want to bore you. So we would want just a few more moments of your time to really get to the bottom of this guy. He's the problem. Verse 5. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. I don't know what a pestilent fellow is. Have you ever been called a pestilent person? 
They can't get rid of him. That's pretty much me. He, he's just everywhere. And a mover of sedition, that'd be number one. That's charge number one, is the fact that he is a seditionist or a, re, or a insurrectionist, a rebellion leader among all the Jews throughout the whole world. Wow, he's pretty sporty. He's pretty special. That's number one. The second one we find is he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, if you remember at the crucifixion, it said Jesus of Nazareth. Even when Jesus was selecting disciples, I don't, I, I'm, this is just coming to me. One of the disciples, is, he said, follow me. And he goes and finds his brother and said, I think we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And what did he respond? There is nothing good in Nazareth. I, I, you know, I hesitate. Somewhere in America, there's a town of which there's nothing good has come out of it. Okay, you can pick the town that you want, and you're smiling because you have one in mind. It's not the same one. But the point is this. Nazareth was not looked on with any sense of delight or empowerment. And he's saying, Tertullus, this guy is the leader of that sect of the Nazarenes. And that's against our religion, basically. The first was against the religion or the laws of Rome, that is, uh, an insurrectionist. And he's also against the Jewish laws. But there's one more thing. This is the one that's really big. This is what supposedly had gotten him here. Verse 6, who also hath gone about to profane the temple. Sacrilege. It's against God himself, whom we took. Now, watch, watch the lies continue. Watch this very carefully. This is very smooth. Who also, verse 6, hath gone about to profane the temple. He's, he's doing something in the temple that's very against God's laws. Whom we took and would have judged according to... Whoa, stop! What were they going to do? They were going to kill him. They were beginning to beat him. Mr. Felix, this guy was profaning the temple and we took him and we're going to judge him according to our laws. He wouldn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance. Keeps going. But Chief Captain Lysias, where is Chief Captain Lysias at this point right now in the trial? He's not here. Isn't that an opportune time to say something that no one is there to defend himself? But Lysias, that guy, he's the chief captain, he came upon us. It's just like, whoo, with great violence took him away out of our hands. In other words, it's, it's Lysias that violently took him out of our hands so he couldn't finish the judgment, the trial. Well, was any of that true? So far, how much is true? Zero. Commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. In other words, that's, that's a wordy way of saying, you know what? What you need to do, just to back up what I've just said, you go get Lysias, he will absolutely tell you what, he, what happened. It will be exactly as we've said. But he's not here. <laughs> That's kind of like the little kid, right? Uh, that gets caught with something. Whose fault is it? Someone that's not there. Mom and dads know that works that way. It's essentially what's taking place. And then to top it off, verse 9, it says, And the Jews also assented, the people that came with him. They were literally witnesses, and they agreed that these things were absolutely true. It looks a little bleak now, doesn't it? We should write down what's... I mean, this, this, looks, a little, this looks a little tough. Uh, just reviewing the three charges were what? 
insurrection. Okay, that's not good. That's not a word you want to use in public. If you're, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're in, in Israel, even though you're a Roman soldier, uh, sorry, a Roman citizen, that's what Felix and all of these guys in Rome have a real problem with is this. They have a Roman citizen who's Paul. He's a Jew, but he's a Roman citizen. You don't just go there without any accusation, certainly not true, but this was a great place to start because this is how the Jews knew. If we're going to get rid of this Paul, that's what we have to make him against the Roman government. We have to show that he's leading an insurrection, okay? Now, we're going to use these because Paul's going to defend himself on all three of these issues. Now, if there's a word I want you to know about Paul and how he describes himself over all the words he says, at the end of it, he is, he is literally this word, blameless. That would be a description of who Paul is in this particular trial. Now, I'm going to say, I'm saying that, and it seems very apparent for this reason. Jesus had said to his apostles, and actually to us today, if you're going to trust Jesus Christ, you will be brought to trial, you will be brought, and trials will come to you. And you know what? We want to have them make sure that we are the same. We are blameless. We want those accusations to be totally false, just like Paul's, blameless. So this would be against Rome. Boy, that's really bad handwriting, isn't it? I had, that, I had a teacher in third grade. Her name was Mrs. Herkett. And Mrs. Herkett was a penmanship perfectionist. I was not her favorite student. Because <laughs> I got thoughts, and I got to get them down, and I know what they say, so who can, just let me go. That wasn't her way. That was Rome. Uh, number two, you tell me, what was the second charge? That's right. He was a, what, let's see, what could we say about that? He was a sectarian, shall we say. He was a leader of, now that would be Jewish problem. That's a Jewish problem. He's anti-Jew. And number three, we could say sacrilege. Let's just do that. Sacrilege. He is defiling the temple. That's against who? God, isn't it? See, they, they've really laid this out. You know, we're going to start. You guys, I know you as Romans want to get rid of him really bad because he's an insurrectionist. This guy is bad news. He's pestilent. And he's all over the world. See, why do you think he said that? This guy's got to go away. This would be God. I mean, this is looking pretty savvy, isn't it? Mr. Tertullus, I'm sure, just pulled that tie out just a minute and sat down and was pretty proud of himself. You know the type. Now, Paul, he's been sitting there in Caesarea for five days. Now, of course, he had time to visit with his legal counsel. <laughs> I saw nothing but... What? <laughs> he was by himself, which is a great place to be because with living within him was the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and look at his legal counsel. Let's go to John chapter 14. Jesus spoke of this. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And let's take a look. John 14. Uh, there's something. I'm going to. Well, I tell you what, we're here. We're going to do something else. Uh, they were, he was accused. Paul was accused of being part of. In fact, they didn't accuse. They called him a Nazarene. Uh, but Paul actually used a term that was Christians were known as in this, in this time frame as 
the way. Okay, I'm gonna write that up here, the way. And that is, it may even be a small w, I'm making it a capital. Uh, in your Bible, you may have a small w. It should be capitalized. It was literally a description of Christians. They were called the way. Now, where did they get that from? John 14, let's go to verse 6. Now, we're a little bit off, so we'll move on to over here. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What a great way to describe a Christian. You are the way. Now, there are those that hate Jesus Christ that say it's so exclusive. I've had people say, you know, I just don't like that. That's just, that's just, so, just so biased. It's so, it's so dividing. And my response is, God can do what God wants to do, and he's chosen to save you by his own very son and him alone. That's his choice. Jesus paid the price. I'm good with it. I'm just glad there's a way. But there's not many ways. There's the way. Isn't that a good way to describe the Christian? The way. But while you're in John chapter 14, who is Paul's legal team? Let's go, to, let's go down. It's in the same conversation with Jesus and his disciples. In verse 16, he says this, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Down to verse 26. But the comforter, paraclete would be the Greek word, which is the Holy Ghost. He's spelling it out now. Whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I have just exposed to you the full legal team that Paul has at his discretion. I think Mr. Tertullus has totally moved down the ladder of professionalism. But at this point, it looks a little bit tough, doesn't it? How would you like to have those charges against you? You're in the trial, Felix or anyone else? Oh, what am I gonna do with this? And he was so, and, and Tertullus was so, wasn't he good? Just, just laid it out there. We need to get rid of this guy fast. I mean, you can, it's almost like the closing comments before the jury, in this case, the judge. What more do I need to say, Felix? This dude is bad. Okay. Let's see what Paul does in his defense. Let's go back to our text. and You know what I want to do? I, I don't know. I, this was a passage I had. I think I want to do it right here. We're talking about loss of, lack of, or losing an opportunity. This is Felix. He's, he's our guy in, in the spotlight. He missed the chance, literally, for his salvation. But there's lost opportunities everywhere. If for us, even here today, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, there's a possibility that you probably are still procrastinating in doing what God wants you to do right now. And I'm pointing the fingers at myself. Sometimes there's that little voice in this. It's really loud at times. That might, voice might be God saying, now is the time, right? So let's look at something. Now, Jesus Christ himself had three people that came to him or were in his, in his, in his uh, presence. And he's going to deal with them in ways that we sometimes scratch our head. I want to look at those because one of those literally is the very same thing of procrastination. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. 
It's off topic, but not too much. Let's go back to Luke chapter 9. We're going to dial into verse 57. Verse 57. And just out of the blue, it says it came to pass. I'll let you get there. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now, um, this would truly be rejection of Jesus Christ. Even though you watch, watch how it's worded, you don't see that. But this is rejection literally by the world. And the world is the system, the society that is pulling us away from what? From who? From God. The world system is trying to conform us to itself in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But we are told to be transformed from the inside out. That's what Jesus Christ does. He can take you full of the world, dead in sins and trespass, and he begins a new life, a new creature from the inside of you. But let's watch these three. These are potential disciples now. Okay? Let's watch the words. It's so sweet. Chapter 9, verse 57. It came to pass. This is just... Well, they're walking they're another day, just like another, that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, this is Jesus, Lord, that's a good way to start, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That's a touchdown. Jesus needs followers like that, right? That's a disciple. That I've... So how does Jesus handle this? What's he say to this guy? Come on, buddy. Now, some of you are reading ahead, but let's see what he says. Jesus said unto him, uh, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not anywhere to lay his head. <laughs> and you're saying, what was that all about? Let me, let me just take a step back. I thought there's another man that probably is the closest to Felix of any that I can describe for you right now. And his name was Judas Iscariot. Judas ran around with Jesus for three years. He's part of, he's probably right here on this, on this mission right now. He would have heard this discourse, and it went whew, right over his head. For three years, Judas Iscariot followed Jesus around. He learned all that he could possibly know in those three years. Wasn't any special events for the other 11 apostles. You have to ask yourself, why was Judas following Jesus? Why was he there? Why would you spend three years of your life following around Jesus Christ? Did you want to be a disciple? Only if I get something. What did he want? Money. Take the last week of Jesus' life, Passion Week, we call it. Jesus is crowned king. Yeah, not really crowned, but the whole Jerusalem is falling down before him. Hosanna to the king, right? I'm telling you, if there was somebody pumped in that crowd, it was Judas Iscariot. <sighs> finally, finally. And then Jesus pulls the rug out from underneath him because the very next morning when you should probably go to the Roman entourage and blow them to kingdom come and tell them they're gone and I am king of this land forever. No, Jesus didn't do that. He went to the temple and through the Sadducees and the priests out of the temple and all their stuff what do you think Judas is doing? Oh, for heaven's sakes, Jesus, what are you doing? In fact, that was literally the day, the moment, of which it flipped his entire life. And you know what he did next? He went to see, I've got to get what money I can get. I'm going to go to the chief priests, and I'm going to get anything I can get. And he bargained for 30 pieces of silver to betray the Son of God. What was Judas's motive? Money. This man that came right here, we don't know his name, but we know he didn't follow Jesus. Jesus said, just a second, I want you to understand something, son. If you follow me, there's no material possessions for you. Foxes even have a home. Birds have a nest. 
I don't even have a place to lay my head down. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. Well, you get the idea. I don't have anything. Are you okay with that? You know who didn't follow him? That guy. You see, what he wanted was for Jesus to take over the world, and then he would be right there with them, milking the money. Whoa. Did you see that before? Let's go to the second one. In fact, the next one, Jesus says, follow me. Let's keep going. Verse 59. He said unto another, verse 59, follow me. Now, Jesus is saying, follow me. He responds by, but he said, Lord, suffer me or allow me first to go and bury my father. Now, uh, the part of us is thinking that this is an urgency. This is, now, granted, if, he's, if, the, if his father has just died, and is, duh. Watch how Jesus responds. He says, let the dead bury their dead and go thou and preach the kingdom of God. What's this guy saying? Uh, I don't trust you enough because what I want to do now is when, I, when my father dies, I'm going to get an inheritance like the prodigal son who got it ahead of time. I have to wait for my father to die. Then I'll have an inheritance. I'll have enough money because I just listened to you tell the other guy, you don't have any place, anything to go. So I don't have enough money to go with you. I have no faith in you. Strike two. Talk to me about faith. What is faith? What was Jesus asking him there? You don't need your father's inheritance. If you really trust me, follow me. Uh, do you guys, are you familiar with, this is one of the, I think one of the greatest ways to show faith. I don't even know if I'd do this, but let's just, for the sake of, have you ever heard of a man by the name of Charles Blondin? Whoa, there is nobody here that's heard of Charles Blondin. This is even more fun. That's not his real name. That's his surname, but I, wouldn't, I, can't, I don't even know what his real name is. He was born in France. Charles Blondin, B-L-O-N-D-I-N, B -L -O -N -D -I -N, was born in the 1800s. And in 1859, June 30th, he did something that no one would have even thought of doing. When Charles, I'm using his stage name, when he was only five years old, he went to a circus. And he saw somebody on a, on a high wire and he was so enamored by this guy that could walk across a wire above the ground. And so he goes home and he ties a rope from one side of the yard to the other side, and not very high, but, and his father was watching this, and he's thinking, and his father was a gymnast. So what did he do? He got him some lessons. He said, you know what, I'll, let, let's get you further down that trail. That's how Charles Blondin started. He came to America. And he went to Niagara Falls. And he was obsessed to get on a rope. Now, his idea of a, are you ready for this? Now you're starting to tune in, right? This is the only man, or up to that stage in 1859, I don't know, maybe somebody else has done it, but he was the one that tied a rope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other, across the gorge. The rope was two inches. How, is that about right? Is that about right? 1,100 feet long. That's a quarter mile there. Over Niagara Falls. 160 feet above the water. And in 1859, on June 30th, with his pole, walked across. They say that the middle of the rope, there was no way to, now they had guy wires on the ends of it, you know, to support it, but you can get the idea, 1,100 feet of rope, that's a quarter mile wheel line, people. 
I mean, that's how I think. That's, I'm the agriculture guy, right? Whoa, I can't imagine walking down a five-inch pipe for the length of the quarter, and then I'd only fall off and hit myself three feet off the ground. 160 feet above the ground. Now, there are spectators like you've never seen. This was an advertised event. So he's got his pole. His, I don't know that do me any good, but he had it. And he walked across. And then he rested on the other side, and he came back across. It's just like the whole world is, he became a sensation overnight. Obviously not to you people, but to everyone else, it was crazy. But you weren't here in 1859, were you? But where it gets interesting is he did that numbers of times. In fact, he would do things that I can't even comprehend. Again, two-inch rope. <laughs> he had a wheelbarrow, went across it. He actually, and this is true, he actually carried on the back of his, of his back to the middle a cook stove, sat down, made himself an omelet, and ate it, and then walked on. You're not doing well, are you? <laughs> but here's where faith comes in. He says, Larry, you're really dragging this out. Yes, I am, because I want you right there. As he walked back across on one of his maneuvers, he said to the people that were there, do you guys, this, now this wasn't this day, but on another day that he went across, he said, do you guys believe that I can go across? Oh, yeah, 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 we know you can. Will you go with me? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> in fact, he had asked in the wheelbarrow, he said, do you think I can get that wheelbarrow across there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's going to be in the wheelbarrow? Boy, I didn't, I didn't say anything, right? But are you ready? That person that he addressed, he said, well, you, go, you can get on my back, and I will take you across. Do you believe that? Not that much. <laughs> but you know what? His agent, the one that had spent so much time with him, was, he was actually, I would say that, a press agent. He was the one that was making the story bigger. That was his job. And I've forgotten his name. I looked it up. And he says to him, he said, will you go with me? He said, I will. And he took that man on his back, and they walked across Niagara Falls. That is faith. How do you cross from this life to eternity? There's only one way to get there. Don't look at the rope. See, that's the key. You look at the person. Are you going to trust Jesus Christ? Or are you going to trust yourself? Because you've got to get across that same thing. It's like I use in funerals many times, let's say Grand Canyon. It doesn't, fall, it doesn't matter how, fall sh how far I fall short. If I beat Paul by 200 feet, that's a long way. If it's by 10 feet, it doesn't matter. The results are the same. How do I get from that side or from this side to that side? There's only one way. The way? Jesus Christ. That man that knew, Mr. Blondin said, not only do I believe that you can go across, I believe if you say you can, I will go with you. That's faith. That's as clear a description of faith that I could possibly think of. And you're thinking of the danger. Yes, he's a human. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the Son of God. Do you believe he's God? If you believe he's God, there's nothing of which he can't take you through or to. Changes everything, doesn't it? Now you're saying, when did Mr. Blondin finally just, it didn't work out for him? He I wanted to know that, because <laughs> that's living on the edge. That's living on the edge. He actually died at the age of 72 as a result of effects of diabetes. 
He died a very quiet, if you will, death. That's a picture of faith. Now, let's go on. We've, you see, this is, we're, we're in some rabbit holes now, aren't we? So let's review now our three guys. We haven't come to the third one, but the first one was what? Jesus Christ was approached by a man, and he said, Lord, I'll go with you anywhere. And that, those are what, I mean, if you're a leader, you want those kind of guys. And Jesus said, wait, what, stop, stop just a minute, because Jesus knew this stuff. He said, I'm going to expose to the world what you really want, and that is material goods. I don't have any. I don't even have a home. Boom, gone. Second one, he said, follow me. Um, I, what you just told that guy, I don't know about the money thing here. Let me wait until, I'll wait, I'm, I'm with you, I'm coming, but I want to make sure that I have an inheritance, I have a back pocket with some money just in case this thing doesn't work out. Okay, that's two. Now let's look at the third one. Still in Luke. Another said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what that guy was doing? I'll follow you, but not right now. I want to go home and just kind of take care of business. You know, tell my family what I'm up to. And, and I'll get back to you. That is called procrastination. That is called postponement. That is called kicking the can down the road. Do you know how many of those three went with Jesus? None. We're not given any. None of them went. That's what procrastination does to even someone that has trusted Christ. It takes you out of the action. Felix, it took him out of eternal life. Let's go back. i got to pull this back together. Where did we take off on that rabbit trail. Where were we at? What verse? Let's go to Acts chapter 24. I know that much. Oh, I know. I know. We've got Paul. He's got his legal counsel. It's the Holy Spirit. He's got some serious work in front of him, right? Let's go now to Acts chapter 24. Let's take a look. Verse 10. Everybody's in agreement. Then Paul, after that the governor, this is Felix, had beckoned unto him to speak, answered. In other words, uh, Mr. Felix would have said, go ahead, go ahead, buddy. He answered. Who's gonna, he's going to address Felix first. For as much as I know that you, Felix, thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Guess who's on trial right now? Felix. This is brilliant. Brilliant move. The first thing he does is he says, Felix, I know you've been here doing this job long enough that you will be able to do the right thing. <laughs> Paul's no longer on trial. Now you say, how many years was he there? Well, we know that, uh, what was that guy's name? Cuminus. He would have been serving as a deputy under him, as previous, the previous uh, procurator or governor in, in, of Samaria. He was there four years. Now I, you have to do the history to find that. Okay? And then he'd been here as this sole governor of this area for five years. So for nine years, he would have been hearing cases just like this. And Paul said, you know what? You're the perfect man for this job because you've been here long enough. You know how it works. You know what the answer will be. And I'm ready to give you everything I have for a defense. <laughs> Do you think, you think it was a, ooh, that's a little... So far, nobody's told him that, right? They just butter him up. Paul says, yeah, I'm going to count on you doing the right thing, buddy. 
So he goes right in. Charge number one, verse 11. Because that thou mayest understand. I want you to understand this, Felix. That there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, if you do the math, what do we know from verse 1? We have 12 days minus 5. He was literally in Jerusalem for no more than 7 days total from when he brought the offerings. Now, there's some dispute amongst theologians and scholars what happened in those 7 days. But we know that Paul was there doing what the church leaders asked him to do, to carry on the vows of four other guys, paying their vows. And you know where Paul would have been in most of those seven days? Would have been in the temple. His point is this. Mr. Felix, I've been here with you for five days. And in the last 12 days, with the five days removed, I was no more than a week in Jerusalem. Now, is that enough time for me to be an insurrectionist? Is that literally enough time for me to gather groups and dispute and to raise riots? And Oh, that isn't much time, is it? That's an interesting, <laughs> that's interesting. He goes on. Uh, why did he go to Jerusalem? Key component. To worship. I didn't go to cause insurrections. I didn't go, I, I came to Jerusalem to worship. And he did. Feast of Pentecost was the one that he went for. Verse 12, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man. Now stop for a moment. That's not like Paul. Read it again. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man. Whoa, that doesn't sound like Paul and the rest of the Acts have been reading. He goes, in any town he goes, he goes whoo, right to a synagogue. And what does he do? He disputes in the sense of Arguing from the scriptures about Jesus being the Messiah. Did he say that right? Hmm. What? What do you mean? That's what he does everywhere. Let's go back. Let's go back to a vision that was given to him. Now, he describes it for us in Acts chapter 27. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 20. I'm sorry, 22. I'm so sorry. Acts chapter 22 and what he's doing is he's relaying, I tell you, this fits in perfectly too. Um, verse, I'd like, where do we want to start? Ah, I'm having so much fun here. Let's start in verse 12, 22, 12. Now this is unfolding, unpacking the Damascus journey. The one that Paul literally, Jesus Christ, single-handedly, sovereignly, showed the light so powerfully that he dropped to his knees. The glory of that light, verse 11. But in verse 12, he's talking about this man of which he would, would, he would see. A man, Ananias, not this high priest that's in Caesarea. This is a devout man, it says in verse 12. Verse 12, chapter 22 of Acts. Let's follow along now. One Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me, Saul at that time, and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Look at the next question. This is, I have this underlined because this is exactly what Felix was given the opportunity later on. We don't see it today, but he says, and this is, this is Ananias. I mean, Paul has been blinded. He's been chosen by God. And then he asks this question of him. 
And now why tarriest thou? Or what are you waiting for? Believe Jesus Christ. That's the culmination. That's literally what our man Felix will refuse to do. But keep going. Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem. Where is he at? He's in Jerusalem. Even while I prayed in the temple, same temple, I was in a trance. He was in a vision, if you will. And it says in verse 18, And I saw him saying unto me, that same him is Jesus Christ, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem. For they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. What? Now watch how Paul responds. Saul at this point, he, watch how he responds. I said, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned and beaten every synagogue of them and believed on me. I'm the perfect guy. In fact, when the blood of this martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. In other words, if I, if I came back, if I repented and come back, am I not the perfect guy to teach at Jerusalem? Keep going. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. What was Jesus' words to Paul? I'm going to take you and you can dispute and argue about the Testament, about the Old Testament and the scriptures anywhere except Jerusalem, because they won't believe you. Now, in those seven days in Jerusalem, as he's come back, do you know what he didn't do? Remember? He didn't do anything. He did what the church asked him to do. He's paying for these four guys and their vows. He is not in the temple disputing. He is not in the temple in any way, shape, or form except just doing what he was asked to do. Do you know why? Because that's what Jesus told him. They will not hear you here. Now, just imagine. And Paul would have known the powder keg situation. That's what the church leaders of the Jerusalem church said. Paul, there's a lot of people in town right now that think you a dangerous person. Please, 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 please do not make it worse. How could it be made it worse? Come on, guys, let's go out of the temple. I want to start, I'm going to show these guys what the Old Testament says about the resurrection and who Jesus really is. Poof! The place would have blown up. He did exactly what he was asked, and not only that, see, we know from Scripture that that's the one place he was not asked to share in the temple in Jerusalem. See, they couldn't use that against him. He was blameless. Let's go back to our text. Chapter 24. How are we doing for time? I have no idea. This is so much fun today. We're just going places. Verse 12. They neither found me in the temple disputing with any man. That's absolutely true. Neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. I, I didn't do that here. I didn't do any of that that they're saying I am. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. There's no proof. But then he says in verse 14, But this I confess unto you, that after the way, now that should be a capital W. It's not in the King James. It's a small W. How many, what version are you reading? I mean, you don't have to, does anybody have a capital W? Okay, that is, that is the way it should be. It should be, because that literally is how it's described in other places as being Christians. The Christians are part of the way, capital W-A-Y. It was a way of knowing Christians. But after the way, which they call heresy, they're calling the way heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. See, that's again, that's a Jewish term. I'm worshiping the very God of the, of the, of the Jews, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I'm believing everything that's in the Old Testament. 
I believe it all. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Now, he's reaching out right now. If there's somebody in the audience right now that is seething, it would be the high priest family and the Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection at any level. Now, let's, why is that? I mean, you have Pharisees in the Sanhedrin and you have the Sadducees. And you have the sense of this. You have the fact that the Pharisees believe in the resurrection. They saw the Old Testament as complete and full. I mean, there was nothing in the Old Testament they didn't buy into. The Sadducees, on the other hand, said the only books that truly are of God is the Pentateuch, the first five books. And they said there is no there's no illustration of resurrection whatsoever in the first five books. Nothing there. And that's why they said there is no resurrection. Now, is that true? Is there no resurrection in the Old Testament? Let's just, I'll just, uh, for the sake of brevity, let's go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Daniel, it was a prophecy given to him concerning Israel. It says in verse 1 of chapter 12, And at that time shall Michael stand up, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same day, that same time. Speaking of the tribulation period. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now watch verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of, what is that? That's someone that's dead, sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That is an absolute clear picture of resurrection. Clear, clear picture. That's in the Old Testament. A couple others you can write down. I'm, I'm not going to go there right now, but you could go to Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, and Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. Now, we also know that, that uh, Jesus spoke of this. Let's go back to John, John chapter... Eight, no, John chapter 5, I'm sorry. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verse 28 20. These are Jesus' words. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That is literally exactly what Paul is saying back in Acts chapter 24. There will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Now, let's for a moment, let's, what did the Old Testament, who would, who would you say, the Sadducees would agree with this, who was the father of the Jews? Abraham, correct? Okay. The father of the Jews is Abraham. Now, in one of my favorite chapters in Genesis is the one where, I think it's Genesis 18, it's where Abram is called by God to say, Abram, I, I want you to come and sacrifice to Mount Moriah, and I want you to take your son, and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. When you get to Mount Moriah, I want you to sacrifice him. Now, what had God said to Abraham before this time? He had said, I'm going to make you Literally, you're going to have descendants as the sand of the sea or the stars of the sky. And your son, the one that I'm going to do that through, is not Ishmael. That's where, that was Sarah's great idea, right? And Abraham obviously succumbed or whatever you want to say. And so Ishmael, but he's not that one. He is not that one. He will be from you and Sarah. Isaac, how many sons does he have? One. 
Now, God is asking something. What? I'm supposed to take Isaac, the one through all of this that has come, and I'm supposed to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah? What does it say? The scripture says he got up early the next morning. I might have slept in. <laughs> Let's see if I got another word coming. See if there's something in the mailbox. Let's see if there's something else that can, we can add to this, right? Is that, what is that called? He got up early, it says, and he took his servants with him. And at the base of the mountain, he left his servants behind. And he took Isaac, and he said, we're going to... And it wasn't weird for Isaac to go worship God, because there's no resistance. This is a teenager that has no resistance to going to worship God. This is not the first time. You know it from just the, the, the context. We're walking up the mountain. <laughs> and Isaac's not a... He's not a foolish lad. He's thinking, let's see now. We're going to sacrifice to God. We got the fire. We got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? <laughs> Dad, we got the wood. We got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? How would you like to be Abram right now? Dad, be you, son. No, no, no. He's deeper than that. He says, the Lord will provide. That's a touchdown, isn't it? That's a touchdown. But it still doesn't solve Abram's problem. Because he knows what God told him. For Isaac, that's his father showing him the faith that he has. Now, see, that should be something that's taught from fathers to sons and on. It, it just is that way. Or daughters, too. I, that's, that's not a terrible. It's, not, it's everybody. I mean, that's how you teach faith is you see it in your parents' lives, right? Or your grandparents. And they get there. And I'm sure Abram's waiting for something to pop up, right? I mean, I would. Ha, ah, this is getting close. So now Isaac at the point which Isaac is tied on the wood. Dad, <laughs> if he's not saying, he's thinking, where is this going? And then when Abraham takes the knife and he raises his hand, that's as close as you can get to know you're serious. What would make Abram do that? Now, there's several, there's several answers to that question, but what I want to get you is this. The fact that he was willing to slay his son because God had asked him, that is faith in God. Abram is saying this, even if I slay my son, God will raise him up because he promised that my descendants would come through this son and he will resurrect this boy right now because that's the only way God could fulfill his promise. Do you think Abram believed in resurrection? That's out of Genesis. You can come up with no other solution. Resurrection in Genesis is right there, Mr. Sadducee. Right? Now, fortunately, <laughs> for Abram and Isaac, I guess, but you know what? I, I would have that same trust I'm, you know, from a distance, right? Would I take my son and go up and <sighs> immediately? That would be a hard call. But it would be like getting on the back of Blondin and walking across a two-inch rope. That was what Abram was doing. In the thing. He was getting on God's back and saying, I trust you. No matter what you ask me to do, you are my God. This is heavy stuff, isn't it? But he knew he could trust God. And you know what? That was what was counted for righteousness. It said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's faith. The picture of resurrection is even in Genesis, right out of the box. 
That's what Paul is using. He's saying, I believe in the resurrection. Let's go back to verse 16, Acts chapter 24. Is that, is that clock actually right back there? I mean, I'm, I've lost all time here. 11.49. Okay, we've got communion too. Let's uh, tell you what we're going to do. What was that? <laughs> okay, all right. Anyway, let's, uh, what verse were we in? 16, okay. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. That should be said of all of us that are in Christ. I don't want to offend God, and I don't want to offend men. I want to have my conscience clear of both. That's how he literally finished his defense. Is that not perfect? He's got a couple more verses, and we're going we're gonna to shut it down for this week because there's no way I, want, I, I won't do it justice. We, we have to come back. We'll just pick it up and go. Verse 19. Or no, wait a minute. Verse 17. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offering. That's interesting. For many years. In other words, he has been gathering these offerings from all across the world to bring the alms. That's actually the gift to bring. Now, he says to the nation. I've got to come back to the next one. I want to I work that over because, wait a minute. He didn't bring it to the nation. Oh, we've got to do this because I don't want you to go home without getting this. Let's go to Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Let's see what a real Jew is. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome. At Rome. It says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. How does one become a real Jew then? What's he saying? You receive Christ. Where was Paul taking the, where was he taking the alms? To the church that had received Christ. He calls them the nation. That's the true Jews. Now, he's not, he's not judging because he wants all to come to him. If you were to go to Romans chapter 9 and chapter 11, he says, I would, that I would even be accursed. That is sent to hell if all of my family, all of the Jews would come to Christ. That's how much he loved them. It's not a less of love, but what he's saying is literally the nation of the Jews without Christ, isn't even a real Jew. And in the face of what he said right there, I, I, can't even I can't even comprehend what those Jews that were sitting there received that as. What do you mean, alms to the nation? We're Jews. I read Romans chapter 2, verse 28 for that reason. A real Jew is someone that sees Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. Now, Jews today, actually, they've almost written, I'm not saying exclusively, but most Jews... If they take the Old Testament, which speak, remember what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus? Remember what he did? This is after he's resurrected, and he's walking with disciples on the road, and they're, they're, they are dejected. They are totally wiped out. Oh, you know, you can see, here's how they were walking. And all of a sudden, Jesus joins them. Hey, where are you guys going? What's going on? Where have you been, buddy? I mean, we, they just killed Jesus. They killed our Messiah. And you know what it says? He opened the scriptures. That's not 1 Corinthians. That's the Old Testament. That's the only thing they would have had. And he revealed to them what was in it concerning him, the Messiah. Where did they get that? They got it from the Old Testament. Isaiah is full of the Messiah descriptions. The Jews today, 
they throw all that stuff out. They don't even want to talk about it. They don't think it's real. Isn't that terrible? But it's coming. Daniel talked about it in chapter 12 of his book. At the very end, at the very end of time, of, of the tribulation, that's seven years, that's the 70th week, literally they will see him for who he is, the one that they, that they, that they um, what's the word? Not slain, ah, not punctured, what's the right word? Nobody's going to help me. Okay. What was it? Pierced. There it is. That's the word. They will look on whom they, whom they pierced and see him for who he is. That is the Messiah. Will that not be the most glorious day? I can, I can almost see, I can see God crying of, bo of joy. Now, he's a spirit. I get it. But can you imagine? Finally, all of these thousands of years and my people will finally get it. And it takes the seven-year tribulation to get them there. And Jesus is still there. He's still there. That same Jesus is here for us. And we're going to come back. We're going to pick this up next week. I, I, I think we just need to stop right here. Because I'm not only talking about someone that is willing to, 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 to sacrifice or to foolishly throw their eternal destiny into the air, which is like a diamond falling into the, ship, uh, falling into the ocean. I'm talking to us as well that have received Christ as Savior. Let's not kick the can down the road of our steps and our journey for our Savior. Let's be just as diligent to do what he has on our plate for today and tomorrow. Heed his call. Open your life. This is a really powerful passage of Scripture. But next week, we're going to look at Felix, the culmination of him literally having Paul in his house for two years. And he was convicted early on with his wife, Drusilla. And then it was like every time he had him, there's, there's ulterior motives, it was like it was just further and further and further and further away. Don't mess with God's call. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the Holy Spirit guiding him and leading him, giving him the words to literally just falsify what these vicious Jews had come to do, and that was to take his life, to silence the gospel of salvation. Father, may you work in our lives as well. Each one of us here right now in these moments, you're dealing with us. We have our own journey of which you are intimately involved. Maybe someone is listening from afar on a podcast, even not today, but in the future, that literally... The Holy Spirit has touched them, and they've made a, they have to make a decision. The gospel of Jesus Christ is reaching out, that man, all men and women have sinned. The wages of sin is death. The only way to cross that Grand Canyon, to cross that Niagara Falls, if you will, is Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. Will you, hearing this voice, Trust Christ as your Savior, fully engaging in faith, trusting Him with your future. That's the first step. Christ comes and He will change. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, working from the inside. Just as Paul said, the true Jew is someone that internally is changed. Father, I pray for that one today, maybe here, maybe even in years ahead, listening to this podcast. Who knows? Maybe even the tribulation period. 
Because this is true Jew Paul talking about how to become one. Father, may we take seriously our life's journey with you. Maybe we are a Christian. Tomorrow is the beginning of a whole new walk because it's another day of which you should be in charge of our lives. Help us, encourage us, strengthen us. May we see you more clearly than ever. Thank you for Jesus who died for us. In him we trust. In his name, amen. Today being the first Sunday of the month,